0: Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Thursday morning, June 4th, 2020, with co-host Tristan H. Cockroft and producer Kyle Sopi, I am Eric Carabel. We are a baseball show, and as such, that will be the subject matter we discuss today. And now, since it is Thursday, every Thursday uh, so far for the last couple of months, uh, while we dream for baseball to return to the fields, we bring in our pal and excellent ESPN staff writer, June Lee, to discuss movies in our sport. And today, it is Field of Dreams. Welcome, as always, to the Fantasy Focus Baseball. June, hope you are well.
1: Thank you, guys. Again, this is, uh, again, the highlight of my day on Thursday. So,
0: I, I hope it's the highlight of your week, but day will take day. That's good enough for us. Um, not sure what everybody's doing with their days. Um, as always, the first question we have to ask you is, when did you see the movie? Did you wake up at 4 a.m. to watch it, or did you see it 10 <laughs> years ago? So <laughs> yeah. I,
2: I did wake
1: up... I, I did wake up at 6.30 this morning and I started watching it at 7.30, but I saw this movie multiple times growing up. So this was a movie that I'd seen before. And honestly, my opinion on it hasn't really changed. Um, I think it's one of the most overrated sports movies. Nice. Period. See, like, I, I, I very rarely have like this strong an opinion about like things being overrated. And I, I generally hate like those kinds of discussions, but this movie I think is truly. Overrated. The reputation of it, I think, far exceeds the quality of the story uh, on a variety of levels. Um, uh, and, and I, I just generally think, you know, we, we, we talked about a Kevin Costner movie last week, obviously, with Bull Durham. Uh, this, obviously, this is a completely different genre of movie. Um, but for me, the thing that I, I have a really hard time getting over with this movie is just how hammy and corny it is on like a multitude of. It just feels. Um, I understand that they're going for this like fairy tale whole esque thing with baseball, but something about this movie just doesn't ever really hit right for me. Like the the movie s- sets up basically as uh as as basically Kevin Costner's character examining his own daddy issues, uh, and that's basically <laughs> what the entire movie is. You know, we obviously the, the, I I will say that I think the ending of the movie, uh, despite. The rest of it being pretty corny usually hits hard for me just because like, you know, father, son playing catch. Um, but overall, one of the most overrated movies, uh, sports movies in general, in my opinion.
2: Kristen, I suspect I th- you might agree. Yeah, I second that. I, I actually listed this as the most overrated baseball movie. I did also list it in my top five favorite movies. And the more I reflect upon it, the more I wish I could have that ranking back and keep it out of there and just leave it at number one, most overrated. Yeah. Um, I'll put it this way. I have a complicated relationship with this movie, just as I had a very complicated relationship with my father. And I think I have realized that those parallels make me they, – they, they bother me particularly about Field of Dreams in that – you're right, June. It, it's, it's effectively yeah, dealing with the daddy issues in a very light and empty sort of way – and it comes to a conclusion with uh, one of one of the things that, Eric, I'm sure you and I will get into about some of the, the decisions casting-wise and, and some of the mechanics of the movie. They have a catch, and effectively, he's not even really that great at throwing the baseball. I mean, come on. Like, it's a father-son catch late in the movie where he can't even throw. I, I don't know. It It doesn't really have a lot of weight for me. And I saw this movie with my father. I did not like it at all the first time I saw it. I grew to like it upon the impression of other people over the years, and – Nowadays, where I realize that my own father-son relationship is, is I'm sorry to say, poor. It, 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 I've had problems with that. It really bothers me a lot now looking at those parallels. And that's the thing people like. People who enjoyed having catches with their, their father love this movie. That wasn't the same for me. And maybe that's I'm biased because of that.
0: Yeah, June, would you say that's what people enjoy about the movie is father-son relationships and and the, the corny line, if you build it, he will come? I mean, like, is this what people like, like about it? Is that why it's cool? I and mean, Is it really a baseball movie in that sense?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, I think it really frames itself as like a father-son movie more than anything. And, uh, you know, like you see over the course of the movie, Kevin Costner's character making more of an effort to, you know, Build the field, obviously, and then just figure out what what, what in the world is happening in, in terms of his head. For me, I, I it just feels too easy. Like the whole plot of the movie just feels too easy and there's no bumps in the road. Like everything just kind of happens and then it's over. And it's just like I never felt any sort of like I didn't really feel any stakes with this movie. You know, like what what is there to lose here? Like he builds a field, he, he, what he, what he has to lose is his. Dignity? Because he talks about at the beginning, like, you know, I've never really like put my like pursued my dreams or whatever. Like that's kind of the only thing he has to lose in this movie. And so like I resonate with the with the father-son catch stuff. It just doesn't really feel like an authentic, like, father-son story. I don't know.
0: Well, there's three categories of the movie that we're supposed to discuss on the show. One is artistically, was it actually a good movie? Are the storytellers adept and astute enough to know if the plot holds up? Is it entertaining or emotive? It's not really a motive. I guess the father-son thing could be
2: to some. Is it entertaining? The music, the
1: music makes you feel like that they're trying to push emotions onto you to a certain degree.
2: There's, look, I'm going to encapsulate it like this. One of the things I don't like about filmmaking, in, in, in particular films, is that if you are trying to get the Oscar nods, and really don't have any substance to your movie, I have a major problem with it. This is one of the things, throwing a non-baseball movie, American Beauty bothered me to an immense degree because I felt like it was a movie that was trying to cram a lot of Oscar clips and feel-good moments, and that one maybe not so much, into one package. Field of Dreams in retrospect feels that way to me. It feels like a lot of attempts at Oscar nabs, things that you could use as clips. That bothered me a lot.
0: That's, that's a fair assessment. Um, Second section would be technically as a baseball movie was it believable or if it was light on baseball what plot points offer the best realism Um, obviously the fact that they picked a character to be Joe Jackson who not only bats from the wrong side of the plate but throws with the wrong arm and is a good looking man like they couldn't have gotten the character of Joe Jackson any more wrong right. Like, just any more wrong. We know Joe Jackson batted left-handed. Ray Liotta doesn't. Ray Liotta couldn't even play baseball at all. And then he throws with his left hand. Joe Jackson did not. That That's something that, as a baseball fan, I, I know is just that's messed up. I knew that the first time I saw it. Um, so it's not really a baseball movie other than that, I guess. And the third one would be Timelessness. Does the movie stand the test of time? I think in this case, the movie stands the test of time in many ways because, like, Tristan, as you noted, what it was meant to do – it still does except for one part, Tristan, which uh, just uh, be delicate here
2: <laughs> yeah it, it the one part it doesn't stand the test of time is the casting and you know you mentioned Leota they got some great actors in this great James Earl Jones, a great terrific, actor terrific. he has the uh, the great speech at the end that a lot of people remember and it, it touches on a couple things that are tricky first of all it's uh in the book it's supposed to be JD Salinger. Right. And catch the Jones. So they did that for legal reasons. And then he's effectively celebrating a pre-integration game, which to me is an awkward thing in retrospect to do that. We are talking about nostalgia in a game of baseball where this was in the era of segregation. That's <laughs> problematic to me, to say the least. The other thing, too, is he brings up capitalism effectively in the speech, which is another thing that's a little bit of a slippery slope. And in retrospect, I'm bothered by that. Watching it again, that's why I find it hard to watch this movie again and to to celebrate it. I, I've I've sort of soured on it over the years. I don't know. We're feel very critical here overall, but it does have its flaws.
1: Something that I think kind of sticks out. Just thinking about the two James Earl Jones baseball movies that we've talked about on the show so far. Um, I was talking with my friend Jake Mintz this morning about about uh, Field of Dreams uh, over at the Sesame's Family Barbecue, uh, and uh, you know, he he brought up the fact that both Sandlot and field of dreams are both about how baseball people have this like pull to come you know to, and they have this pull with baseball this special relationship with baseball where people gravitate towards it um and i just feel as as i just feel like the the that sandlot for me personally kind of portrays that like the gravitational pull of baseball in a more authentic way than field of dreams does. I I, I just, again, to circle back, like I, I just really feel like this movie is so ham handed and it's just, it just doesn't really, you know, I, I think there's a couple of nice moments, but again, like, like Tristan says, it feels like more of like a collection of moments than it does like a actual cohesive thing.
2: You know, one way it does that is uh, I thought about it this way. I love the cornfield baseball Park. I, I loved it, yes. and I thought about it. I was 15 years old when I saw this movie, and at that time, anything could be a baseball field. And the idea that I could clear out a cornfield and that would be my outfield fence was fantastic. I love the imagery of that, and it, 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 you know, you're out in nature, great weather, and everything. You're you're just taking it all in. I think I got fooled by that, that 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 great scene was what pulled me into this movie. I mean, the acting, too. The, the, again, the choices of actors, they're all great individuals. It's just I don't know about the casting choices. Well,
1: it feels like 95 percent of what people what appeals to people about this movie is like done by that field. Like, I feel like the field, the setup of the field propels like 95 percent of the movie and is like the heart of the movie. And if, if that if the premise alone doesn't exist, I'm not sure that this is like an, an interesting movie at all.
0: All right. um, Let's pause here and get to Tristan's trivia. And then when that's done, we'll finish up our discussion of Field of Dreams. Tristan, what trivia have have you got for us today?
2: Okay, so I'll ask a question related to Moonlight Graham, who was mentioned in this movie. Real player who did, in fact, play a major league game, but never got an official trip to the plate. My question for the three of you today is, can you name the player... Who appeared in the most major league games without ever getting a trip to the plate? Now, we're going to exclude the pitchers. Obviously, pitchers, they were involved in the game, you know, their own way. But among hitters, which player appeared in the most major league games and never got a chance to bat?
0: I think I know who
3: it is because... Wow.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he he probably will. He probably will. It's... it's, it's,
3: Yeah. I I, you know
2: it or you don't.
0: I think I know who it is, and we'll we'll, we'll do that a little bit later. Um, finishing up on the discussion of the movie, is there anything you guys like? I mean, is there like the are there any quotes that other than the obvious quote that that sticks with you? Um, the field, I mean, it there's not there's nothing in the movie where you laugh. Okay, there's nothing in the movie where you cry. It's just kind of there. You know, like it's just a movie. It's just, it's kind of weird. It's hard to describe how I feel like kids have emotions better. So like the kids in Sandlot, they're funny. You can relate to them. The adults in this movie, not so much. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent fair. There there are a lot of people who did love this movie who did cry for it. And I I mean, I'll respect the fact that this probably does have an appeal to a lot of people. I just, you know, I've got my bias. (laughs)
1: I I have a question for you guys that that has come out of this. Um, there is a de- there's a debate around how you talk about having uh, playing playing catch. So do you guys say play catch or have a catch? Because at the end of this movie, Kevin Costner's character, I believe, says he wants to have a catch with his dad.
0: I would probably say have a catch.
2: Um, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong.
1: I had never heard have a catch until like I got to college because I'd grown up playing play catch my entire life.
2: I am more of the play catch type too, but I think I have said have a catch occasionally. I, I
0: said have a catch last week because I, I did with the softball manager of my team. So we're so desperate to get out there. We were wearing masks, but we actually had a catch for like an hour. And I, we said, do you, he texted me, do you want to have a catch? So maybe it's different for us. Um, play maybe catch. the
2: proposal or the proposal of doing it is have a catch and the activity of doing it in yeah, the moment. See, they're like both that. right.
0: I think that they're both right.
1: I do think it's cool that major league baseball before, you know, the pandemic happened was planning on having a game in Iowa this year. Like I, I do think that that is, that that is a symbolically like having the crowds, having the players all go to Iowa and playing on like that field. I think that's awesome. It's an incredible, I really hope it does happen in the future. If major league baseball, you know, brings it to, uh, you know, 2021 if there's a you know once when things are remotely close to normal again um you know other than that like it's for me the the biggest thing that i take away from that movie is like the idea of building a baseball field in a cornfield like i remember plenty of times like as a kid growing up like driving on the highway and seeing empty fields and be like oh you could build a baseball field there like that's kind of the only thing that i personally have taken away long term from this movie mm-hmm.
0: Well, the, the field is in Dyersville, Iowa, and it actually exists. And I, I believe the people that own the land um, turned it into a bit of a money maker. Like they, they sell like I think it
1: was a museum, yeah, it was it was a some, museum
0: there. Like so you can actually drive there, see the field, actually play on the field for you know for money, and um, so they make something out of it. I hope that the Yankees and the White Sox are supposed to have that game th- this August. I I initially viewed it in two ways. I was like, it's cool that you can play a baseball game in Iowa in that made up field, but also a little bit of a money grab, let's be honest. So, uh, and and I just, I'm swaying as we move off the movie to the point where, like, everything in baseball seems like it's about money. It's about money grabs, where in the other sports, maybe it is too, but we don't know about it. And, like, you never hear about, like, football's got its problems, but you never hear in the NBA, or the NHL, which is not the same as the NBA or the other sports. But the NBA, you never hear about money. You know, like it doesn't cause problems. They're agreeing on everything. They have their issues, but there's no money grabs. And that bothers me a little bit about baseball. Any final thoughts on Field of Dreams before we do other things? Uh, You mentioned Moonlight Graham, who appeared in the game back in like 1905, 1906, something like that. Never gotten at bat. Um, I love the fact that James Earl Jones and his awesome vo- voice is in this movie. That's pretty cool. I-, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a fan of the movie, but I hate to be negative as well. So, uh, any final thoughts, gentlemen?
1: I just think it's fine. Like, people talk about this sports movie like it's one of the greatest. Um, it should be like in the Pantheon or whatever. And it's just like, it's not, I don't think it's like actively horrible, you know, but I just, <laughs> it's I just, not actively I'm not. Horrible. I just think it's just fine. It's a competent movie. Like it's one of those mo- like it's one of those movies that like is on cable and you just kind of keep it on in the background or whatever. And like it doesn't really uh, for me, at least personally, it doesn't really move me either way. All
2: right, that's, it's that's, a movie that you were told from the start is the best baseball movie ever. Yes. hundred percent. That's accurate. You that's, were told this is the best movie. It's time to watch it and you watch it and it's a good movie, but it's
1: I score. remember when I watched it for the first time as a kid, everyone was like, this is the best baseball movie. And then I watched it, and I was like, that's it?
0: <laughs> that's, that's, that, you know what? That sums it
3: up. That sums it up, Kyle. Do you agree with all this? Have you seen this movie? I have not seen the movie. I know the quotes, but I was wondering what you guys think about act, like naming the podcast not actively horrible based on <laughs> what people are telling us now. Like, I think that's a bad tagline.
2: Oh, I like it. We're not we're marginally better than replacement level there and it not actively horrible.
0: <laughs> okay, we're the field of dreams of podcasts. No, I do not want to be the field of dreams of podcasts. I, I, I want to do better than that. So I understand what you're getting at, and it is funny. Oh, no, no. yeah. That's more for the other show. I, I no. Kyle, I don't want to be associated with it with Joe Jackson batted left handed. I can't.
2: Eric does not bat right handed on the show. Period. No. That's, no. no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely not um by the way i was gonna mention this i think in every episode with you june we should talk about a movie that's not baseball that you really should watch and i was reminded today on twitter which i'm trying to stay off of and i haven't tweeted in weeks so there's nothing good can come from it but the movie breaking away about the four um um teenagers uh, cycling in indiana i don't know if you've seen that movie But Dennis Quaid's in it and it is one of my favorite sports movies ever. We we told you about Slapshot last week and Slapshot is fun and and dirty and lots of other things and Paul Newman is fantastic. But Breaking Away is a fantastic movie in a different way. So if you want to see something that makes you feel good, which Build of Dreams is not for me, Breaking Away is a fantastic movie. Late seventies, Indianapolis. I think you'll really like it. That's has nothing to do with baseball, but I don't care. I, I like all sports. I'm, I've am i been watching Belgium soccer or German soccer every Saturday and Sunday, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm enjoying it because it's sports. I don't want sports forced upon me. I want it done right. I want baseball to figure this out. So let's segue here into what is happening in the news, and I'll ask you briefly your thoughts as a baseball writer on what is happening right now. It doesn't seem to be any discussions between the union and the uh, – the owners and that saddens me um your percent chance that we see baseball this season would be what
1: i i hesitate to put a percentage on it but i'm i'm not optimistic right now mostly because when we talked last week they were in a place where the you know mlb had put put had put aside put an offer front and the players you know were going to put in an offer and uh we're still in the same place as we were last week. Nothing has changed. No, there's been no legitimate counter offer to any of the offers both sides have put put forth, uh, which says to me that again, we I talked about this last week on the show. Nobody's listening to each other. There's there is there is no communication between the two sides right now. And again, like this pandemic has has revealed the, the the fault lines of a lot of places of a lot of things in this country and in baseball specifically. You know, I think people around the game have been talking for almost years at this point the 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 degrading relationship between the union and the league and this has just accelerated that because they can't come to an agreement and so for me personally as a 25 year old baseball fan i really worry about the long term ramifications of what happens when you go an entire summer without baseball and you have an entire generation of not me like literally kids five, fifth graders uh, fourth graders kindergartners Who have millions of things that they can, they can do to, uh, occupy their time, whether that's, uh, you know, iPad games, Fortnite, uh, you know, there's so many esports, uh, Twitch streaming. There's so many different options now that kids have. Why would they sit down and watch a baseball game? Especially if they're going to be fighting over money like this. That is what really, really concerns me in the big picture about baseball is that I, I don't know, you know, people talk about how baseball has, has bounced back since the 94 strike. Has it? I'm not sure that it has. I'm not sure that baseball is remotely as popular as it was in the 90s in the same way. Uh and for me as a 25-year-old, I can say from my own personal experience, there are so much fewer baseball fans and there are casual baseball fans and there are basketball fans. Um people are casually picking up the NBA uh and the NFL in a way that they don't anymore with baseball and so for me as someone who cares about baseball, uh this entire thing is incredibly concerning for me for the future of the game.
0: Tristan, um, briefly, and we can get more into this on Monday if there's more news, but as a longtime fantasy player, would it satiate you if there was a 50-game season? Would you want to play a 50-game season?
2: No, not really. Uh, I I would play it just because it's something that will occupy the time, serve as a distraction, but... 50 is an awfully short amount. It's honestly, it's getting down towards the level of football with uh, the, the random,
1: it would be random. It'd be totally random.
2: Yeah. And like, I'd have to see, you know, how is a playoff structure going to be built then? Are you going to just let all, you know, like 18 of the 30 teams, you know, I I want baseball. I'll take anything. I said on the show before I would take a five game season. If that's all they're going to give me as opposed to zero, but it's, it's not enough.
0: And June, we would be remiss if we did not discuss your recent excellent work at ESPN's MLB coverage. The articles that you've written in the past week. Please discuss what you have done, and, and if anything, what you have learned, because it so fits into what's happening in our country right
3: now.
1: Yeah. So I I wrote a story this week. which you can you can uh, it's it's pinned to my Twitter account at June Lee. It's about uh it's about the relationship between Lucas Giolito and Tim Anderson and the White Sox, and something that struck me last year. Um I remember talking to Lucas I think it was it was May um and it was it was after the Tim Anderson bat flip stuff had happened and I, I remember talking to Lucas specifically and being kind of taken aback by how how much Lucas clearly cared about Tim and how he felt like he was one of the most uh misunderstood people in baseball and so when Lucas posted uh he became one of the first uh, baseball players and one of the first white baseball players to post a Black Lives Matter support message um, in, in the days following the, the, the death of George Floyd. Um, and then Tim Anderson has been one of the most outspoken players in baseball over the course of the last couple of years. He posted uh, a, a couple of fo- photos from the streets of Chicago um, with the graffiti and, and, uh, and the protest af- aftermath there. And so I, I was kind of struck to see kind of how... Kind of how those two had clearly discussed race, uh, and so I basically just asked the two of them, you know, what their relationship was like and how they it developed, and uh, they basically just talked about how Tim is someone who is in the White Sox clubhouse and is and is unabashedly himself, and so, you know, Lucas comes from Los Angeles, he went to an elite private school, Harvard Westlake. Tim is from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They have completely different backgrounds, and the thing that really struck me about their friendship was that despite having completely different backgrounds. They both approach their relationship with each other with a desire to understand each other and where they came from, um who they are. Uh, and so basically, you know, these these are two people from completely different financial situations growing up, just completely different living situations growing up, and they've gone to a place of understanding because they just are genuinely curious about each other as people. And and one of the things that really struck me uh that I kind of got from the reporting of the story was that basically because Tim is T- Tim is kind of willing to be himself and, and kind of break the unwritten rules in many in many ways. He's he's kind of broken this awkwardness barrier within the White Sox clubhouse and it has allowed them to frankly discuss race and their backgrounds and their different cultural backgrounds. You know, the baseball clubhouse is one of the most diverse places uh you know, workplaces in America in in my opinion. You know, you have people from, you know, Latin America, you have people from Asia, you have people from all over the United States, uh white and black. Uh and so there is a lot of culture clashing that often happens within the baseball clubhouse. And it was very inspiring just to hear how Tim's presence and how, uh, how Lucas kind of being an ally for Tim has opened up that clubhouse to have these frank discussions about race. And, and the thing that, that really struck me that, that Tim said, and I thought was really just good advice for whether that's baseball players or people who are trying to have these difficult conversations right now, all you need to do is ask, just ask the questions and, and be genuinely curious and, and listen Listen, genuinely listen to what these people are, what, what black Americans are saying about their experience living in the United States. And that is the first step towards making any sort of change. And so, you know, when Lucas posted that Black Lives Matter message, you know, you guys understand the culture of baseball. It, you know, people don't really speak out about things for a white baseball player to go out there and post a Black Lives Matter message before anyone else was doing, before the brands were doing it. It's, he was putting himself out there. And so, he he had gone to a point where he Luke Lucas Giolito had, had felt as if you know his relationship with his black friends, including Tim and, and others, that would that mattered more than than any, any sort of brand damage that he could have possibly have gone before. You know, posting about Black Lives Matter kind of became a, a mainstream message uh, in the last couple of uh, last couple of days, and so um, I, I think what their story just generally says is be willing and being curious to listen and ask genuine, insightful questions uh, with people who come from different backgrounds. Uh, and that will serve as a first step towards hopefully moving towards a better future in one form or another.
0: Yeah, I think you said it. Great. Great job, by June Lee. I really enjoy your work uh, for MLB coverage and I enjoy your time here. Let's answer the trivia question and then we'll let you go. Tristan, what was the question again?
2: OK, so the question in the Moonlight Graham theme was, can you name the hitter, the offensive player, non-pitcher, who played the most major league games without ever getting a time at bat? And I'll note that there were 26 pitchers uh, all-time who have played more games than this particular guy, uh, 16 of them are active relief pitchers. But this player, he played 105 games and he never got a chance at bat. Oh, my God. I have... Literally no clue. I have no clue. I don't even
1: know where to start here. Yeah, I know the answer. answer.
2: You know or you don't know, and Eric probably knows. Well, I mean, because I'm a big
0: fan of 1970s baseball. Uh, I've read books about this. I read – what's his name? Dan Epstein writes excellent books about the 1970s. Uh, There's one on my shelf now, Big Hair and Plastic Grass. I've read – Dynastic, bombastic, fantastic from Jason Turbo, a a book about the early 70s Oakland A's. So, yes, I know the answer to this question, Tristan. It's Herb Washington, the pinch runner for Charlie Finley's A's in the early 70s, who never actually got a chance to bat, uh, but was a a track star, I think, in college. And he wasn't even an effective base stealer, which is the funniest part of this, because whenever he pinch ran for somebody – The other team knew what was going to happen. He was going to try to take off, and he didn't have very good um, instincts at stealing. He was just faster than everybody else. So I think he was like 29 out of like 45 in steals one year. He wasn't even an effective base stealer, but I imagine Herb Washington is the answer to the question.
2: Herb Washington is the correct answer to the question. He was 31 for 48 in his career, two years for the 74 and 75 Oakland A's. Yeah, well done. As I said, it would be the one you know or you don't know. Yeah, if you want to put him in as a pinch runner just to kind of leg out those extra base hits and score from first, that's great. But it shows that sprint speed alone doesn't uh, drive your stolen base total.
1: I, yeah, that kind I, I of that kind yeah. of lines up with how uh, NFL teams sometimes like get Olympic track stars to be punt returners. Yeah. There's, there's Jeff Demps with the Patriots, uh, and I don't think he even lasted the season. And so, really
0: cool. You know. I mean, like, there's been track stars who tried to be wide receivers in the NFL, and has it ever worked out? I'm not yeah. sure it has.
2: There um, have actually not been that many major league players on the hitting side who played in games and didn't get a an at bat. But I believe it was uh, the most recent was Joe hit pass I guess you'd pronounce it. That Mets catcher?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know. And speaking of Mets, I just read the Jeff Perlman excellent book on the eighty-six Mets, and uh, man, what a mess they were, <laughs> the eighty-six Mets. You think you know? Read this book.
1: I've been reading a lot. Actually,
0: I've been spending time reading and catching up on things in the last couple months, and I've enjoyed it. Anyway, June Lee, you're doing a great job, Free Spans Albion coverage, and we really enjoy having you on our show to discuss not only movies, but other things as well. And uh, you're very well spoken. So thank you so much. And we hope to get to talk to you next Thursday. The movie will be A League of Their Own, which is uh, a movie I really like a lot. And um, hope you get to see it next Thursday morning and you'll enjoy it as well.
2: <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you, June. Joe Hit Hedpas? Hedpas. H- 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 I don't know how you pronounce the guy's name. <laughs>
0: Uh, I honestly have never heard of him. Kyle, I'm sure you've got some
3: questions in here. Um, Let's get to them. All right. First, we're going to go a little fact-checking here. I mean, if you can't check Urban Dictionary, what can you trust? They say, have a catch. It's definition. An incorrect, nonsensical description of tossing a ball between two people. A catch is not something you can have. It is something you do. So it's sides in favor of Tristan on that one. No, it
0: actually says it should be do a catch, which makes no sense.
2: (laughs) Do a catch? Come on. uh, Potato,
0: potato.
2: Oh, if only we could play catch right now. Uh,
0: I am. I'm planning on doing it again tomorrow. I meant us. I I think we're playing softball on on July 4th weekend in our league. I think they're going to start it up. I think we might have to wear masks, but I think we're starting up in three or four weeks. And... I'm in shape. I'm actually in arguably the best shape I've been in in 20 years. I've lost weight. I feel strong. in oh, the
2: best shape of your life story. All right. Yeah, so
0: you well, want to done, draft me sir. in your fantasy league because, you know what, we're going to – I'll bet this, just, and Hopefully they start Major League Baseball July 4th weekend as well. How many players are going to say they're in the best shape of their life? Not Not like normal. Not like every other spring. Nobody's in the best shape
3: of their life right now.
2: No, well, some are going to say, "Oh, yes, I kept uh, I kept up my fitness." You know, you'll hear a couple of cases like that. No, I don't think it's going to be a big. I don't, I don't
0: think that's going. to – I mean, I was reading a story about the Flyers, the hockey team, and there's only two Flyers right now that are even skating. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like you think how hard it is to play baseball? Okay, play baseball on skates. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: hockey. I, I can't think- imagine. I told you, it's it the the difficulty of doing two things at once that i'm not a multitasker i can't physically do that i am constantly impressed by hockey players
0: yeah you're not a multitasker when you're looking stuff up during the podcast you're not hearing a word that i'm saying so we know exactly. you're not a multitasker <laughs> priority
2: i'm honest at least
0: <laughs> uh, no i appreciate your honesty Kyle what's the do we have a question here from twitter and by the way we're trying to do a show every monday thursday until they tell us to stop so Please get us some good questions. And if you don't want to talk about the 2020 season, talk about 2021. Tristan has his dynasty rankings coming out in the next two weeks. I will have, I don't want to say comprehensive, but coverage of the MLB draft, which is next week. Um, I don't think anybody in the MLB draft next week is going to play Major League Baseball in 2020. But in your dynasty leagues, you're going to be drafting these guys, Torkelson and the Vanderbilt kids. So we're going to cover it and do our best to you know, make you better readers. Fantasy op
3: players, but um, anyway, Kyle, what do you got? I think that's well said. Michael wants to know if we do get the fifty to sixty games that they're tossing around right now, would there be any point in drafting an ace in the first five rounds of a standard redraft league? And I, I, it
0: really devalues the aces because I can't imagine they're going to let Justin Verlander throw seven innings for the first couple outings. And if you only have a fifty-game season, that that only leaves a couple outings. So, is it going to be all about offense? In a shortened season?
2: Well, see, this is the thing about a 50-game season. And, and you know, what bothers me, we were just talking a minute ago about it, is that this sounds like what the owners are just going to push through, and <laughs> that's what we're going to get. You could have a full spring training. In other words, you could set up a year for 50 games of, you know, like usual regular baseball, in which case Verlander does go seven innings. I need to see what the preseason structure is before I could accurately answer this question but I still think there's going to be a premium to be paid for aces. I'll I'll probably personally try to fade them, but I'm not going to tell you right now that Garrett Cole does not belong in the first five rounds. That's a ridiculous value if he's the first pick of the sixth round. I'm sorry.
0: I would say the top 10 aces just still go where they go, maybe a little bit later. Like, I would have taken Garrett Cole over Freddie Freeman three months ago. Today, I might not. Freeman's going to play every day, right? He's going to put up numbers. But yeah, like I think the it,
2: hitters are going to be able to get ready for the season a lot more quickly than the pitchers will. So if if it's going to be a 110 game or 114 games like the players propose, it's going to be an incredibly brief spring training fade the pitchers. If it's 50 games, we could have a month long spring training or warm up period and then everything's normal and I draft the pitchers. I I just don't know.
0: Yeah, I think we should wait until we have actual uh, word on what is going to happen before we start making proclamations. But I think you can make the case that pitchers are
3: devalued, but don't devalue them too much. Next up? Yes. Next up is Jared. He wants to know what the weirdest stadium food that you've tried is and which is the weirdest that you've liked. Tristan has the answer right there. I know exactly what it is. You were in Seattle, Tristan.
0: Tell
2: us. Yeah, I did eat the grasshoppers. Uh, the, the, my, my three other buddies and I, who go on the baseball trip every year, pick a new stadium. We went to Seattle and we insisted we were trying the grasshoppers and it ended up that only two of the four of us did. Oh,
0: they were what? Slathered in bacon and cheese. Is that why you ate it?
2: No, they're seasoned with, uh, some sort of, you know, not pepper, but you know, like some sort of sprinkled shaved seasoning and they're just not good. They're, they're kind of crunchy and dry. Uh, if you get the wrong one, they've got kind of like a gooey internal oh, texture. No, 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 uh, no. I, I think I ate three or four of them, and yeah, I'm done.
0: No, I, I, I don't take chances
3: when I'm not at home. I think Kyle might understand oh, that. Like, yeah, I completely agree. I wouldn't take chances if I am home. There's, I can't, <laughs> I can't understand the circumstance in which I would try a grasshopper
2: so i just gotta say you did it it's a seattle Mariners thing (laughs) hey
3: good good for you i
0: uh i don't i just don't take chances with food i haven't had before and i i tend to stick to my old standbys when i'm on their hot dogs and burgers and cheesesteaks and chicken grilled chicken when i'm at away ballparks i just don't i don't take chances so but that's Two-thirds of us on the show. <laughs> um, sure.
2: Think about it, though. Um, around Major League Baseball, there aren't an awful lot of weird choices that go along.
0: Oh, I disagree. I think there are a lot of weird choices now.
2: Okay, give me give me a few of them.
0: Well, I mean, there's sushi at ballparks. I mean, there's like – maybe weird. that's not weird, but there's, there's, there's never before been more culinary options at ballparks than there is now. I'm not saying weird. What is weird? To some, yeah. grasshoppers is not weird, so I don't want to. I don't want to put a, a term on it. Um, this
2: is the thing. I would not eat sushi at a ballpark, but I would have. I, I did try the grasshoppers. I, you no, were not try sushi to No, it was something I decided I needed to do as a baseball fan, knowing that that was there and that it's. I mean, what I
0: need it. to do, and I won't be able to need to do it. I won't be able to do it in twenty twenty. Is I need to go to Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs and eat a three little pig sandwich, which is. Pork, bacon, and ham on a roll with slathered and barbecue sauce. It's my favorite minor league ballpark, minor league team, minor league food. The Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs do it right. And it's a shame they're not going to get to have any baseball there this year. That's, you know, Major League Baseball arguing over money. Minor League Baseball is in trouble. Trouble, man. And I will definitely patronize Lehigh Valley and Redding and Trenton and Lakewood and other minor league ballparks in 2021 when baseball returns because they need it. And I'm in favor of minor the good minor league baseball. I understand you want to realign how it's done because they set up the minor league system 50 years ago and you want to make it so that maybe each team has fewer um, minor league standby places and they have to have modern stadiums and I don't know. I the way minor leaguers are being treated right now is a disgrace. But
2: yes. yep.
0: anyway, let's keep our jobs. Next question.
3: Derek's got a longtime keeper league that's freezing all keeper activities this season and doing a one-season redraft, snake draft, just for this year to get something in and then resuming all of 2021 as it would in a normal keeper league. Do you like that solution to the keeper league problem? Yeah. As
0: long as everybody in your league is on the same page, there's a lot of scenarios that I would like, but that one makes sense to me because we're going to run into this problem in our fantasy leagues, our keeper leagues, our sim leagues of what to do, not only about this year, about the money, the playoff spots. I am not paying full price in my money leagues for one third of a season. I'm just not going to do it. I'll drop out. Um, I And then in the keeper leagues, in terms of, player management you know which if they play baseball you add a year to their what is it salaries the you know if they played five years now they played six years if they play if Sean Doolittle sits out you don't add a year to his that's the way I'm going to view my leagues but ultimately what's most important is you have a good commissioner who communicates with your league and you're all on the same page about what to do and you discuss it well in advance of the season Tristan you run more leagues than I I'm not sure I run any important leagues anymore. I run a sim league, but we'll, that'll be taken care of easily. But in your dynasty league, which you run, how are you guys handling this? Is there is everybody on the same page? Is there apathy to even play if there's a 50-game season?
2: Um, we actually have not gotten deep into the discussions in that league, in the, the long-time keeper league. Uh, I have gotten a couple of questions about it, and I have not thought far enough because we do a, a pricing system based on the performance of players in season. So it's going to be kind of a catastrophe frankly if it's a 50 game season the math is going to be a mess and that makes me like this solution in this question is that you just skip over the year if it's a 50 game year play it as a redraft and then everything picks up exactly where it was next season in the one that i run the problem we're going to run into and this is probably the case for a lot of dynasty dynasty keeper leagues is that the process for 2020 had already been underway when baseball paused and if that is where your league was at it gets hairier in terms of how to deal with that. We had somebody who kept Luis Severino in mind before the point that the final keepers were due, and he had him locked in. We had somebody end up keeping Chris Sale and Noah Syndergaard at the keeper deadline, and they are locked in. Do we just pause and then go into next year with the, the rosters that were frozen at the beginning of this year? That's what I'd respond to this question with. Was, are you going to let people resubmit a keeper list? It's a very important answer, and Eric, I think to your point, you need to have leagues get to a unanimous opinion on these, come up with a, a unanimous ruling on a set of rules for 2021 or how you're going to deal with 2020 when we get the final ruling.
3: Fair enough. I like that. John wants to know if Tristan agrees in fading Luis Castillo and or that John, or John Gray, Sonny Gray is a bit underrated as something Eric wrote this past week. I don't think I was fading Castillo that much as I was praising
0: Gray. Um, my articles finally ended with Pittsburgh on Wednesday. Um, the article that I had wrote a week ago, and then and then the Chris Archer news came out. The Chris Archer shouldn't have been drafted to any fantasy leagues this year or beyond. His career might be over when you have thoracic outlet syndrome. Anyway, back to Cincinnati. It was a bold statement that Sonny Gray will be more valuable than Castillo, and um, and their ADP is not all that close right now. So basically, what I was trying to point out is. There's a a huge value difference where Castillo might be going in the right spot, but maybe a little bit too high based on his finish from last year. But why do people not believe in Sonny Gray was my bigger point, Tristan? Do you agree with
2: that? I'm looking at the ADPs using, in this case, the NFBC ones because I can split it by date. Luis Castillo is the number 11 pitcher. Not not even necessarily just starting pitcher, number 11 pitcher. And I assume that's going to be all starters. Sonny Gray is 29th. Why? Why what?
0: Well, why is that happening? Like, they they had the same player rate or value last year. So, are, are people just not buying what Sunny Gray was selling?
2: No, they're not because the two years before it were a little bit rockier, and I'm assuming that's exactly why it is. I actually, I I don't really have any problem with the ADP of Sunny Gray. To call him a top thirty fantasy starter, I think is perfectly adequate. It's recognizing as the ability to repeat. Uh, he did great with the the pitching coach he worked with in college. Being reunited with him was a big help. 11th overall for Luis Castillo is very generous. And generous. Eric, I'd be with you on fading him if that's the price.
0: See, you and I just have a, a different way of viewing player value for the upcoming season. And it's a fair one. You put more stock into past seasons than I do. And I look at what Sonny Gray achieved in 2019 and say um, he was a different pitcher in a new league. With a new pitching coach in the National League, why can't he repeat that? And you say, I need to see it again because of, of the struggles he had as a Yankee, which I think both sides are fair to this. Is, is that inaccurate to where I'm portraying you? You put more stock into past seasons than I do?
2: Uh,
0: I, I <laughs> You're raised- a for your average guy, and I'm not.
2: Yeah, but I I raise questions based on upon a player's past history, and we mentioned
0: I'll, I'll grant that,
2: right? But it's going to cause me to do more research on the player to make a decision as to what part of his past is more relevant. And to me, Gray's 2019 was more important than what came before it. But I think it will, at the same time, be very difficult for him to repeat that.
0: Kyle, did I sum that up well in the difference in how we view things? As, as an arbiter on this show, you understand what I'm saying, is I don't care as much about three-year years, uh, three year averages as Tristan does. I, I think it's fair that both are right.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any wrong way to do it. It's a personal preference kind of thing. Yours is more looking forward, whereas Tristan views the past as important as predicting the future. I think both are valid, and the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle.
2: Although I'll, 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 I'll point out, Eric, that you often will point out when a player has one bad year, you go back to the history.
3: Why can't he do this again? Well, no. because
0: I—he's already proven himself. Who's who is somebody who had a bad twenty nineteen? Okay, and it no, would but, have to be. A, I'm. I'm and, saying, and i saying. Yeah, no, no. I know what you're saying. You're saying if Chris somebody Davis. who Chris Davis. No, that doesn't work. No. Well, the, no, Oakland, no, the Oakland Chris guy. Davis. Yeah, yeah. When I look at the Oakland Chris Davis, I say, why can't he go back to the skills that he had in the past if he's healthy? So, yes, I do look at – but I'm not looking at three-year numbers. I'm looking at skills that he did in the recent past and the reason why he struggled this past season. So I don't know if that's the same as Sonny Gray. But, yeah, I look at the past numbers. It's just I almost never look at three-year averages because I don't think there's anything relevant in averaging out what Chris Davis of Oakland did in 2019 and 2018. I don't want to average them. I want to say what Chris Davis did in in 2018 he can do again. That's so, what so I'm saying. I'm not averaging out the numbers. I'm saying he's going to
2: – you don't agree don't, with that? I don't think it's you're, – you're leaning on three-year averages as a concept too much. I don't no. – I actually – I don't even calculate them. I don't even calculate a three-year averages. I don't have a file of three-year averages anywhere. The concept of three-year averages is something that drives things like Marcel projections. And for the most part, my projections draw off the most recent three seasons. But that doesn't mean I use a straight average of the three years.
0: Like, how could you possibly use three-year averages for Jorge Soler? That was his first good year. So I'm not but saying he's gonna you, do that.
2: How could you possibly for Chris Davis the A that we were just talking about? This is to my point. You you'll make the case that don't believe the one year of greatness. Then Cotel Marte, you and I are very pro Cotel Marte. One year. We're we're picking and choosing here.
0: Well, I think we're both saying that Marte and Soler can't possibly do what they did in 2019, but I'm also saying I don't care about what they did in 2018. That's what I'm saying for both those players. Their 2018s are irrelevant to me because they are new and different players that made actionable changes to their approach and their batting ways. So how is 2018 and the past before that relevant to either player? I don't think it is. That said, I don't think they're going to repeat what they did in 2019 in 2021, but I think they're that type of player now.
2: The the issue in Gray's case for repeatability, and, and to be clear, I have Castillo 14th among starting pitchers. I have Gray 27th, and it took me that long to find it because my file's not working for some weird reason. But Gray, if you look at the fan graph stats, his curve and his slider were each worth more than 10 runs above average. That's pretty exceptional. It's very difficult for a pitcher to get two pitches that grade that well. He's never done it any other time in his career, which means that he was effectively perfect or near it with the command of both pitches.
0: You're saying we should view him at repeating as skeptical as well.
2: I would just be a little bit careful about him, about him repeating the numbers verbatim. Okay. I think he's going to be very good. And the improvements he made are repeatable, but I think the Castillo skills are a little bit better here. I I love Luis Castillo's changeup. You know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think this is a good conversation about how we view things. And I think we both can be right. Um, anyway, and we both do well in our leagues. Um, and we'll leave it at that. That's it for today's show. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Fantasy Focus Baseball. We are a twice-a-week show planned for Mondays and Thursdays, but we'll see what happens in June because nothing, nothing's forever. We don't know, but we're going to talk baseball on this show. Every Thursday we'll have June Lee back on. Next Thursday it'll be a league of their own. As for, for this Monday, I don't know. Maybe we'll have news to discuss. Uh, maybe we'll discuss the Sims. Maybe we'll have a guest. Anyway, thank you so much to Tristan Cockroft. Kyle Sapi and the awesome June Lee, please check out June's excellent work. ESPN's MLB coverage. Time for me to go on a run. Genesis is uh, Duke and Abacab. I think I'll be up for today. Be safe. Be kind. Have an awesome weekend.